0: Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 14 through 16. The message is entitled, Christians, Jew, and Gentile. The wealth of the believer is by the love of God, as we've stated before, and it's declared in chapter 1, 2, and 3. He declared the possession of the believer, focusing on transaction and the redemption, as we've stated in chapter 1. In chapter 2, he declared the position of the believer focusing on the transition of salvation. and the process of salvation, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 through 10 is given to us. The old life, 1 through 3. The new life, 4 through 10. And then we have the product of salvation. Chapter 2, verse 11 down to 22. The old citizenship of uh, the old man, verse 11 to 18. And then you have the new citizenship, 19 through 22. And sometimes they seem to interlace in that, but it's, it's, that's just a clean division of it. Now, chapter 2 gives us a beautiful picture of man's reconciliation to God and man. Our new position in Christ, alive in the heavenlies, depicts the process of salvation, as I said in chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. And our new relationship in Christ, a new man on the earth, depicts the product of salvation in chapter 2, verse 11 to 22. So it's the vertical that makes the horizontal effective. It's our right relationship with God that makes us to be right with each other, as we'll see this clearly. Now, in view of the new relationship of the Gentile Ephesians to God, Paul asked them to never forget their natural position as Gentiles by remembering three things, and we saw this in our last study, verse 11 through 13. In 11, he told them to remember the Jews looked down on the Gentiles. It's good for you not to forget where you came from, the world mindset. Secondly, he told them to remember the pity, or the pitiful lost condition of the Gentiles in verse 12. And each of us, we don't want to live in the past. We certainly are not called to remember specific sins of the past, I said, but that you remember how lost you were because we have a tendency to look at our lives years after with colored glasses. And then thirdly, to remember their new position as Gentiles in verse 13. And you just have to rejoice when you see how far God has brought you. Paul now moves on to declare to the Ephesians the results of the new relationship regarding Jew and Gentile, which is characterized by three things here in verses uh, 14 to 16. Let me read for us here. Verse 14 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments containing in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. The result of this new relationship regarding the Jew and Gentile is characterized by the following. First, the peaceful unity between Jew and Gentile, verse 14. The peaceful unity. Secondly, the peaceful tranquility between Jew and Gentile in verse 15. And then thirdly, the peaceful affinity between Jew and Gentile, verse 16. He begins by giving us the peaceful unity between the Jew and Gentile. Look at verse 14. The apostle Paul here declared Jesus was the common source uniting both Jew and Gentile. Now, for us, we say, well, yeah, that, but we don't understand the, the hatred, the animosity, the difficulty, the, the emotional and, 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 and just hostile environment between these two groups. Now you remember that God only saw the world in two, two groups, Jew and Gentile. Okay? Now he sees three groups, Jew, Gentile, the Church of God. So you fit in one of those three categories. Okay? He sees no other categories. He says, for he himself is our peace who has made both one. So Paul stated the efficiency of the blood of Jesus. Notice carefully the word for explains, uh, explains giving the reason for the Gentiles being drawn near to God who were far off. Look in the verse 13. The personal pronoun he is emphatic. But he... And no other person accomplished the drawing near to God of the Gentiles. The connection is with the blood of Christ. Mark that well. Verses are connected. The Greek has the article, the blood, the Christ, making them interchangeable. Personifying. The blood is Christ. And Christ the blood. Notice Paul stated that for this reason, Jesus Christ is our peace. The blood of Jesus and his person are one and inseparable. Blood speaks of his death. The person of Jesus speaks of being alive now. The word is, is the indicative present active. He was dead, he paid the price, but he's alive. There's the receipt, the acknowledgement of that payment. Notice he is the personification and embodiment of our peace. The root word for peace there is to join together, implying something um, previously broken or fractured or separated. You get the name Irene from this word. <laughs> the word peace is usually used to indicate a tranquil state of a soul Assured of his salvation through Christ. But not in this context. It's not salvation. It's the result of salvation what it did to Jew and Gentile. Paul stated the identity of this peace that united them as one together by the phrase, who has made both one. Both refers to the Gentiles and the Jews. Just as the word our indicates Jew and Gentile. Because they're one. The tense is the era is active, literally having made, indicating the accomplished fact. Whether people want to believe it, accept it, it doesn't matter. It has been accomplished for those who put their trust In Christ. Those who were far off from God, the Gentiles, and those who were near God, the Jew, were united together in peace by Jesus by being saved. Verse 13. Having the same Savior that forgave their sins by His blood. Leviticus seventeen eleven, the life of the flesh is in the blood. I've given it to you for an atonement upon the altar. Ephesians one seven it says, Forgiveness has come of our sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. He opens up the epistle that way. Hebrews nine twenty-two. Apart from the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Jesus was their common mediator. You might remember, well, I don't know if they do fractions anymore, but When you started learning fractions, you had to find a common denominator. And it was so hard when you first started, but once you, it clicked, once the light came on, it was good. The common denominator for all sinners of all ages is Jesus Christ. No other. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace in Isaiah. Now notice Paul the Apostle illustrated their unity as one by the literal wall in the temple that separated the Jews from the Gentiles. He says, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, as you know, the temple was considered to be the house of God. Not in the sense that God lived there but that God honored it to be the location for his people to worship him and that he would hear their prayers. Solomon, that great prayer in First Kings 8 as he dedicated the temple and asked God to listen to their cries when they were in sin or in bondage or in war or all kinds of things. Solomon built the temple of the most precious stones, wood, precious metals, none like it. But then Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it, and, Ezra and Nehemiah restored the temple again, rebuilding the walls of the city. Herod expanded it and beautified it to greater heights. The temple was divided into various courts, as you know. There was the court of the Holy of Holies, the very location where God would appear for the high priest once a year, in the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. Then you had the court of the holy place. That's The, the holy holies was 15 by 15, and of course the holy place was 15 by 30 in the ta- tabernacle. And then you have the court of the priests. The court of the Jewish men, the court of the Jewish women, and the court of the Gentiles. There was a wall about four or five feet high. It ran through the temple area, separating the court of the Gentiles from the inner court, permitted only to the Jews. The middle wall of separation indicated here, this wall... Um, The Greek scholar Lenski says the following. This wall was like a tremendous city wall that protected the citizens from invasion by outside enemies. A fence that keeps flocks within safe from outside marauders. You see, as Jews went to the temple and the Gentiles proselytes were allowed to come in to a certain area. That wall spoke very, very clear. In fact, there was a placard on that wall. It read as follows. No foreigner may enter within the barricades which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. How's that for worship? (laughs) So it was thick. It was thick hostility. The wall spoke of the contempt and hatred between the Jew and the Gentile. Paul the apostle was nearly beat to death when he was thought to have brought some Gentiles in in Acts 21, you remember. They accused him falsely because they had seen some Gentiles with him in the city prior, so they thought he brought him in. This wall of prejudice and separation was removed by Jesus, Paul is saying. The phrase has broken down means to destroy, remove, or annul. The tense again is the air is active, having broken down, stating the accomplished fact. Both Jew and Gentile, seeing themselves as dead in trespass and sins, and saved now by the grace of God, through faith, saw themselves standing on equal ground. This is nothing natural. This is an experience of the supernatural. This does not happen because we're educated. This does not happen because we are just kind of just good-natured. This happens because the Spirit of the living God has just devastated our life for the good. (laughs) And He has changed the very fiber of our thinking, of our believing, what we embrace to be truth and error about the things of God and the things of man, who we are and who and what God has done. as we look to our nation we see the hostility the animosity the the racial uh, pitting and igniting of america man is not good and those in positions of power understand how to move the masses in hatred because we're sinners It's amazing what an individual will not do alone. But it is more amazing what one individual will do when he is part of a mob. The heart of man is deceitful, desperately wicked above all things. Only God knows it. There's a book called The Peace Child. These tribes in Africa, there was this child, they were always at odds and killing each other, and they took the act of giving one of their children to the other tribe as a token that they would never attack them. Because they attacked them, of course, the danger would be they would kill that one of their own. And there was an amiable... Stay. A oneness that came about, a peace. God sent His Son to become one of us. And what did man do? Man killed him. (laughs) You say? If you have been born again and are growing, developing, and maturing spiritually, you're becoming more like Jesus. And certain things will be true of you. You will not be prejudiced towards people for their race, color, or nationality. You see them all as sinners. That's one of the greatest barriers that could broken down. I, um, I become very disturbed and... Very angry when so-called reverence fuel and ignite the racial clashes and divisions of our nation. God help them. They're lucky God doesn't just burn them alive with a thunderbolt. you at the same time understand that there are good ethical and moral unbelievers and there are others that are not. They're both sinners, but one has a sense of morality and ethics and right and wrong, the other one does not. Therefore, when a sinner repents and is saved, regardless of their race, color, or nationality, they become one with you in Christ, Jesus being the source of peace between you. There's no hostility. Sometimes people ask me, well, well uh, what's your congregation like? I mean, is it mostly Mexicans like you? Like, and I go, and I start thinking, I don't really pay attention to that. I said, the church has just got all kinds of different people. I've got black people, I've got brown people, I've got, you know, yellow people, I've got oh, white people. I've got a bunch of sinners of different colors. What's the problem? It's amazing to me. The questions people ask, you, you don't know whether they're trying to insult you or you should slap them. It's ridiculous, especially when it comes from Christmas. Second Corinthians five, sixteen through seventeen, listen carefully, therefore, from now on we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, meaning this human body, yet now we know him no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, all things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. So we're not to look at each other according and after the flesh. When we knew each other, when we were used to live in the flesh, I don't see you as inferior, superior. I don't see you as this or that. You fill in the blanks. I see you as my brother, my sister in Christ. I take your word for what you're telling me. When you're born again, it is the objective truth of God's word that brings about the same conviction and standards for life. Again, resulting in peace between Christians. We live peacefully between each other because we agree on the standards of the word of God. That is not to say that there is no room for opinion or choice of each individual person in areas of conscience, but these are not to deal with outright sin, but with matters of conscience. But there's other things that we don't agree upon. We have difference in culture and tradition and family matters, different things. And as long as it doesn't contradict the word of God, then it doesn't matter, right? Now, if it contradicts the word of God, then we should have a difference, okay? But we all have the same Bible. We all have the same standard. We all have the same responsibility, Jesus becomes the source of our peace, and we draw from Him. Colossians three ten through eleven. Notice, He binds us together. It says, "In having put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of Him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all." Let me point out one of them, Scythian. The Scythians were those northern regions up there by the uh, Cossacks. And they would take their captives, decapitate them, and use their skull for drinking vessels. Whoa, Paul. No difference between what? Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, barbar, when they couldn't speak Greek. Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all in all. Do you realize that the majority of the people in the early church were slaves? Poor people? There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.28 Now that doesn't mean there's no distinction between us. A man is a man. A woman is a woman. These categories are before God. Those differences that we have here by design do not affect our relationship to God. But they should affect and be effective in our relationship in life. A woman and a man, compliments. Okay? So the peaceful unity between Jew and Gentile is Jesus. Not a philosophy. Not because you're mellow. Not because you're nice. But because Jesus. Notice, secondly, the peaceful tranquility between Jew and Gentile is given next in verse 15. The Apostle Paul indicated the manner by which Jesus removed this wall of separation that accomplished this united oneness of Jew and Gentile. Paul pointed out Jesus abolished this wall of separation by his human body, having abolished in his flesh. The enmity. And let me tell you, when they saw Jew and Gentile one, they took notice. They... As in the early 50s or 40s, where you would see mixed marriages, black or white, or even Mexican white. And you walk in a restaurant. people Some areas real hostile, right? That's the kind of stuff that, that Paul is talking about here. I mean, it was bad. And God used this hatred to magnify the power of the gospel. The phrase, having abolished. It's an agiastic arrangement with the previous participle, having broken down. In other words, the sense structures, it, it balances each other. Having broken down balances having abolished. The middle wall separation balances his flesh and the enmity. They point to each other. Okay? The phrase having abolished means to render inoperative, idle or useless, annulled, put out of commission, wiped out. The second gives reinforcing emphasis to the fact of the first. The tense again is the error is active. Having abolished like having broken. Stating an accomplished fact. Whether people take advantage of that truth. And that finished work. That's an individual choice. But the individual choice does not affect the validity and the actuality of that accomplishment. Very important. The physical body of Jesus, notice, was essential for the effective transaction through the death of the cross. God became man through the incarnation. Jesus had a literal physical body like every human being, yet without sin, being conceived by the Holy Spirit. His name was Emmanuel, God with us, Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 through 23. The wall of separation, notice, was a source of enmity between the Jew and the Gentile. This wall caused them to hate each other by the Jews exalting themselves and looking down on the Gentiles, considering them as dogs. Matthew fifteen twenty-seven. Paul later in Philippians says, and beware of dogs, he turns it on them. He's talking about the Jews who were Pharisees, the Judaizers. So now Paul being a Christian calls. The Judaizers are dogs. They're the real dogs. (laughs) They believe the Gentiles were only created by God to kindle the fires of hell. The word enmity means hostility and animosity. And it's emphatic in the Greek related to his flesh and body. Don't miss the connection. Paul pointed out this wall of separation to be the law of Moses. He identifies it for us. This is the new this is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. The two words that are used here are interesting. The word commandments means an order an order or the ordered rule. The word ordinance means a doctrine or decree. Some believe Paul is speaking about the ceremonial law alone. The law and statutes of washing and purifications, of eating certain foods, not eating other foods, feasts, Sabbath days, and so on. Jews, do you know, exalted the ceremonial law to establish their own self-righteousness as they kept these things that made them feel better. Um, If you were a religious person, you understand this because you did certain things and when you did certain religious things like denying yourself food for a day or two or certain holidays or whatever you did uh, or you gave 25 cents in the offering, you, you just felt that you were a little better than someone else. Religious things. the Gentiles took great offense to all of these ritual and ceremony. Paul had to be speaking about not only the ceremonial law, though, he had to be speaking about the entire law. Certainly the ceremonial is very, very evident. This is not to say that the Ten Commandments are not in effect or required by God now. Now, the ceremonial law is completely disannulled. That has no place in the Christian's life as a source of righteousness or meritorious work for salvation. That would be works. But rather, here the law only accused man of being guilty before God, requiring perfection. So the ceremonial law is done away. As any form of standing for righteousness, but also the moral law, it it, it couldn't be used because here's the requirement. Perfection. Who can meet that? Jesus said he came to fulfill the entire law, both ceremonial and moral, as our representative as the last Adam. Listen to him in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5.17. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy them. But to fulfill. In other words. Christ himself as we'll see. fulfill all the ritual. All the ceremony. All the feast days. And the entire requirement of the law. And so we have one of two choices. I can take the law and say, I'll take my chances or I'll take my chances with Jesus that fulfilled it perfectly (laughs) for my righteousness. You would be a fool to pick the law. If you're wise, you pick Christ. Romans 10, 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. Now those who do not believe in Christ, they put their trust in what they do regarding laws and rituals and everything else. Notice the Apostle Paul identified this united oneness of Jew and Gentile as something new. So as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Paul pointed out that Jesus brought about from the combined race of Jew and Gentile, something distinct from either one. Totally different. Jesus did not make Gentile Jews. Jesus did not make Jews Gentile. Jesus did not make them a combination of Jew and Gentile, but he made them a new creation. Paul identifies this creation, the new man. The plan and accomplished goal of Jesus was to create of the two, one. Ready for it? A Christian. A Christian means Christ-like. And maybe that's the best way to ask people today. Don't say, are you a Christian? Because, oh yeah. Don't ask like that anymore. Next time say, hey, are you Christ-like? What? They'll, They'll make sure they heard right before they answer now. The word created means to bring into existence for the purpose of inhabiting. The idea behind it is that of change and transform individual through the new birth. It's impossible for you to say you're a Christian without transformation. The heart first. In the mind than is evident in life. the errors tense again implies the purpose was actually carried out. Notice Paul pointed out the irrefutable connection again in himself. He is our peace, beginning of 14, he abolished the enmity of his flesh. Or in his flesh, verse 15, the beginning, and he created one new man. The word new, kinos, means new in kind and quality, opposed to not just mere time. It's altogether different. Both Jew and Gentile having the same common denominator, Jesus the Redeemer and Savior. Neither one of them could exalt themselves or look down on the other. And that is the same for you and myself. Now, let's be real and um, understand that in our flesh, our old sin nature, we at times have a tendency, if we walk in the flesh and put our guard down, to look at somebody, if we know some people, and say, whoosh, whoosh, and look down on them. And that that check should should rebuke me right away. Because I'm looking at that person after the flesh. Paul just said, we know no man after the flesh any longer, even though we knew Christ after the flesh, right? So unless you're backslidden, I have no reason to consider you as you used to be. Right? It's simple. Simple to say. (laughs) You got to fight for that ground. You got to bring your thoughts in captivity. You got to do good warfare. Paul confirmed the result of their hostility to each other, that it was cast aside, thus making peace, he says. The word making is the present active, it is still effective to the present about the hostility of people to one another. So those who embrace Christ and call upon Christ, whatever animosity there is to one another, or whether it be cultural, racial, national, whatever, then that should cease because of the common ground. And even as you a believer, there's no hostility to those who are non-believers because they are lost and blind and dead, right? Now, we can be righteously angry about their conduct, what they do, what they say, the policies of lawmakers, stuff like that. But we can't allow that to cause us to sin, right? It doesn't mean we can't hold them accountable. The process is given to us. We can hold them accountable to an extent, to some little extent today now. But... um, We understand that they're dead, right? That doesn't mean they're not responsible or accountable. It means that I look at things a little different. And the word peace again means to bring about a state of tranquility between the Jew and the Gentile. He is our peace again, as verse 14 said. You remember when Peter went to the house of Cornelius, um, Peter wouldn't have dared walk into a Gentile's house. In fact, when he was there a Joppa, and he got that vision, and the Lord says, kill any. He said, not so, Lord. And God rebuked him. Jesus said, listen, don't you ever call unclean what I have cleansed. Don't ever call it common. There again, you have that principle, right? Very important. And um, the Lord told him to go with the men, the two men that were coming, not to um, doubt anything, and he would... Revealed as he went along. And, and he went to the house of Cornelius. Cornelius came up and, you know, bowed and started, you know, all reverence. Hey, Peter says, get up. I'm a man like you. Whoa. Pope Peter? <laughs> He's no pope. And as he began to declare, the Lord revealed to him that now he had opened the gates of the, the Gentile and to the church. And before Peter can get through with the sermon, God just falls upon the Gentiles and fills them with baptizing with the Holy Spirit. They speak in tongues. They prophesy. And Peter uh, took a couple of witnesses as he got back to Jerusalem because he knew he was going to get it. And uh, he says, who was I to forbid them? As God allowed them to be saved just like us through faith. Wow. But Peter was human like you and I when he was up at Antioch. He was eating with the Gentiles, pork chops probably. And a couple of brethren from Jerusalem came down and he tiptoed to the kosher table. And Paul rebuked them to his face. Hypocrite! Peter got back on track. <laughs> never say never. When you do, you're exalting yourself, you're trusting yourself. Never by the grace of God. That's the only way. If I abide, if I draw from him, if I obey, if I fight the good fight. The New Testament is very clear that all men and women are guilty before God and are hell-bound unless they repent of their sins. This should never be stated in any way, shape, or form with any satisfaction. But with a broken heart. Romans 3.19 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and that all the world may become guilty before God. Romans 3.19. By the time Paul gets to 3.19, Jew and Gentile are all guilty before God. They have no way of of being justified apart from Jesus Christ. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23 says, All is all. Greek, Spanish, English, all. For the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 6.23. That's the choice that man has. No other choice. The ceremonial law cannot, nor does it make a person righteous, nor empower them to resist sin in itself. It is self-deception. Let me give you some scriptures. In Romans 14, 1 through 6, it says, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let him not Let not him who does not eat judge him who does eat, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another man's servant? To his own master he stands and falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand one person esteems one day above another. Another esteems another day alike. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord for he who gives God thanks and he who does not eat to the Lord he does not eat and give thanks to God. So all these things of eating and days and fees mean Zippo. You want to eat greasy food? That's up to you. You'll just probably die before me. But it's not gonna make you unholy. Right? It doesn't make you better than anybody else. Colossians two thirteen through fifteen says, and you being dead in trespasses in uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirement that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. And the cross, he nailed it all. He paid it all. In Colossians 2:16 through23 It says, "So let no one judge you in food or drink, in regarding the festivals, the new moon, Sabbath's day, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking the light. "...in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by the fleshly mind, and not holding fast the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic prince of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations?" Here are the regulations. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concerning things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion. False humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. You can do all this and they're not going to empower you to resist sin. You will fall prey to sin as easy, if not easier. They have no power. They give you an appearance of being holy, but you know you're not. The law was a prophetic preparation for the humanity of Jesus. Listen to Leviticus, or uh, Luke. 24, 25 through 27, there in the Dem- Emmaus Road. You remember, we just finished Luke. Then he said to them, this speaking Jesus, uh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe on all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning in Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Genesis to Malachi. All about himself. Therefore, the law was a tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under the tutor, Galatians 3:24 and 25. Schoolmaster, a schoolmaster, a tutor, uh, the word in the Greek is one who uh, the parents would get to, to supervise the child from the time he got up in the morning to prepare him for the school, walk him to school so he don't get in trouble and bring him back home. This, the law, was a schoolmaster, a tutor to, to introduce us and to, to watch over us and to entrust us to Christ. Then I said, John speaking, behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. Hebrews ten seven. not John, but I believe Paul wrote Hebrews. It's Hebrews. The volume of the book is written of me to do your will, O God. Everything. Now, listen to John, Revelation nineteen ten. And I fell at his feet to worship him. That's the angel that he was worshiping. But he, he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have testimony of Jesus and worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It's all about Jesus. The peaceful tranquility between Jew and Gentile is by Jesus. No one else. Notice thirdly in verse 16, the peaceful affinity between the Jew and the Gentile. The Apostle Paul revealed both Jew and Gentile were made right with God in and by the new creation of Christians. And that he might reconcile them both to God. Paul pointed out the effectiveness of the purpose of the Father and the Son. The phrase, might reconcile, does not imply doubt. The tense is the error is active again. The fact of it being accomplished and still valid and in effect. The word reconcile, as you know, means to bring back in harmony. And it's to God here. Paul pointed out by the this reconciliation of both Jew and Gentile, that they had been placed back where they belonged. Adam strayed from God. He created him. In their right relationship with God, indicative of the first tablet of the law, the vertical relationship. Right? And then notice Paul the Apostle revealed both Jew and Gentile as this new creation of Christians. We're a new community. Listen to the words. In one body through the cross. Paul pointed out they comprise one body. The metaphor of the body communicates many things, as you know. That they are many parts, yet one body. That they have many parts and they're different and distinct from each other. That the many parts complement and need one another, and affect one another, and that the individual parts is there to serve the other parts of the body. The illustration of a human body. It speaks for itself, but we, we just don't get it. <laughs> the implication being that there is but one head to this body. Christ, he's going to get to that later on, chapter 5. We'll deal with it a little bit right now. The one who is our peace, verse 14, the one who made both one, in verse 14 also. The one who broke down the middle wall of separation, in verse 14. And the one who abolished in his flesh the empty of the law, in verse 15. And the one who created in himself one new man, making peace, in verse 15. Indicative of the second table of the law, the horizontal relationship The result of the vertical relationship. The vertical is always the source of the horizontal. When the vertical is not right, your horizontal is going to be all tweaked. It's not going to be true. It's not going to be genuine. There's going to be ulterior motives. You're not going to be right. It's impossible. The body is Christ. Equivalent. To his church. The body of Christ. It's the church. Ecclesia. Those called out. By way of repentance in the person of Christ. He deals with in chapter 1, 22 to 23, 3.6, 44, 523. Notice Paul pointed out it was through the cross of reconciliation that ended the hostility between the Jew and the Gentile. Through the cross thereby putting to death the enmity. The cross was and is the symbol of death and shame. The cross was where the payment of sin was atoned for and made, under the wrath of the Father upon the Son. The cross is responsible for putting to death the hostility between Jew and Gentile And all who would ever come to Christ. The hostility of husband to wife, wife to husband, siblings, friends. The word enmity is the same as in verse 15. Remember that peace child that I talked to you about the book. Not only did that child become the source of peace between the two. But they broke down every barrier between them so they became one in many different ways. The greatest evidence the church can give to the world is the oneness of the people that make up the church. There being different races, there being different economic levels. Different cultures. There being children, teens, young and old. This happens natural through the supernatural. Now the thing today is that today's emergent church and church grows. They get into all this stuff. And what they purposely try to do is they, they, they try to reach different cultures so they can have this multicultural balance to appear so nice and righteous. We're not to work on, we're not to target culture, we're not to target races, we're not to target nationality. We're to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and let God put it together. Because when you target them, you're gonna cater to them and they're gonna become entitled and they're gonna demand their pound of flesh. Who can handle that? You gotta be an idiot. When you go fishing, you can't see the fish. You just cast it out there. And what you bring up is what you eat. Simple. We don't target different groups, but churches do today. Because that's the bus thing. Multicultural. God is multicultural way in advance. But he does it by his spirit. So therefore, when you clean the fish and he cleans them, they don't stink. You go fishing, you try to clean them. You can clean them all you want. They're still going to stink. Matthew sixteen eighteen says, Jesus says, and I also say to you. You are Peter, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Book of Acts, chapter 1 and 2, he added daily to the church, daily such should be saved. He doesn't. The body of Christ, the church, belongs to Jesus Christ. Never forget that. Listen to some of the scriptures. Therefore take heed to yourself, Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders, and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God. Which he purchased with his own blood, Acts twenty twenty eight. I've never shed one drop. He shed it. To the intent, Ephesians says three ten, that now the manifold wisdom of God, without, might be made known to the church, to the principalities, powers, and heavenly places. The angels are looking on. What God is doing through us, to Him glory, in the church by Jesus Christ, Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Ephesians 3.21, to him goes all the glory. uh, 5.23, for the husband is the head of the wife, also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. What a parallel. Wow. What a responsibility we have as husbands. Who's sufficient for this apart from Christ? Stand up so we can laugh. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Ephesians 5.24, woe. Everything is biblical and scriptural. Not everything he wants you to submit to. Okay, let's make it clear. (laughs) Husbands love your wives. Jesus Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Ephesians 5:25. That he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot, wrinkle, or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Ephesians 5:27. Paul has much to say in Ephesians about the church. As we move on, this is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church, Ephesians 5.32. Wow. All of us need to realize that the cross humbles each of us. Knowing Jesus took our place. We really belong there. The cross is a stumbling block to the Jew and foolishness to the Gentile. 1 Corinthians 2.23 says, we are the church, one bread, one body. First Corinthians ten seventeen tells us. Jesus said, "Other sheep I have, of this fold, which are not of this fold." In John ten sixteen, he was talking to the Jews. Then, the sheep of that are not of this fold; those other sheep were the Gentiles. Jew and Gentile one, in Christ Jesus. So you're either Jew, Gentile, or the Church of God. Where do you fit? If you're a Gentile, you look down on the Jew. If you're a Jew, you look down on the Gentile. You exalt yourself. If you're the Church of God, you're Jew and Gentile one, and have nothing to glory and nothing to exalt yourself over. Wow. What an amazing God. How wise he is. The peaceful affinity between Jew and Gentile is by and through the cross of Jesus. And so Paul has declared to the Ephesians the result of the new relationship regarding Jew and Gentile. The peaceful unity between Jew and Gentile is Jesus, not a philosophy. The peaceful tranquility between Jew and Gentile is by Jesus. And the peaceful affinity between Jew and Gentile is through the cross of Jesus. Man, Paul just nails it. Do you think this might be applicable for today? More today than ever in the church of Jesus Christ in America. Because the politicians... The universities, the media are going to try to make you like them as Christians. And to divide you by your race, by your color, by whatever else. And you must remember that we are Christians. And that is our unity. And we never allow our allegiance to nationality, to culture, to family, or to anybody apart from Jesus Christ. And if we do, we are fools. And we are very, very unwise. We've got an administration that are masters at dividing people, pitting people. You're a Christian. Nothing more, nothing less. Father, we thank you for your grace, your love, your goodness. Thank you for tonight. We pray you deal with our hearts, Lord. We so thank you for each other. We thank you for the work that you've done in our lives, Lord, how you have cleansed us, how you have forgiven us, how you have made us new. We thank you for your grace. And, Lord, we can stand and boast of nothing but you. We just worship you. We thank you, Lord. Lord, I just pray for anyone that's here or over the Internet, As you've been ministering to their hearts, Lord, that you would make yourself known to them if they don't know you. That they would call on your name and you would do this miraculous work in their life, Lord. And that they would open their heart to you. As you're praying, if you're here tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then God has brought you here to be saved. If you believe what I've taught if you believe that Jesus Christ is God who became man if you believe that he paid the price of your sin on the cross and rose from the dead then you you can be saved by calling upon his name by grace through faith you alone make this decision no one else so this is your prayer if you want to be born again and forgiven Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. We ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen.